of life, not all, but most of them, are connected to relationships, people. And so it's real. It's, uh, it's just a part of the way life is, that we're going to inevitably be confronted with things that are going to require us to negotiate difficult waters, and a lot of times are going to involve other people. And, and honestly, a lot of times are going to involve people we care about deeply. And when to draw our lines, when to open up and, and make ourselves hurtable. How do we do that? How do we live with wisdom? You know, we've been talking about a lot of things. Um, seeing, hearing. Talked about how Jesus saw below the surface of things. Talked about if we're going to follow him, we in turn are going to also have to be committed to being a people who live with increasingly discerning eyes and ears so that we, we don't just get caught up on the way we think things are at the surface level, but we learn to get below that. And, and, and that's, again, living with discernment. And we talked about listening and how, according to James and the, what the Bible had to say about that, that we would be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger because anger doesn't work the righteousness of God. It doesn't really produce right things. It, it ends up being destructive when it's out of control. And so one of the ways to, to keep anger from having a place in our life is to focus on being a good listener. And we talked about seeking first to understand. Remember, and we spent time there. We talked about the idea of empathetic listening and, and genuinely trying to hear someone out. It doesn't, and, we, and we mentioned that it, that won't always mean, as some would think, that because we heard someone out, we may, or they heard us out, that that means that there has to be an agreement. It, it may, we may still have the same you know, perspective that we had prior to that conversation, but we heard it. We didn't prejudge it. We listened to it. We tried to take into account the, our own possibility for blind spots. We, we spent a lot of time um, saying to, to, to walk with a degree of humility in our relational life. And so that's a big part of where we've been. I want to add another layer to that. I'd like to submit something that I I don't think I'll be able to adequately capture it in my communication, but I think that we can touch it. And that is something that I think will be of tremendous value to all of us, not only in relation to our closest relationships and our friendships and our family, but also in our community as a whole, that I, I believe the Lord wants us to learn how to be gracious in our relationships, to grow with an expansive graciousness in our life that allows us to not only be gracious to others, that is giving them room to even fail, believing what God can do, um, but also to be a people who speak gracious words, that, that more of our communication patterns would be dominated by life-giving words rather than death-dealing things. And I get the idea, we're gonna talk a lot about this, but I get the idea that you know, there are times we have to draw lines and there are times where where you know, we, we have to st stop saying something's okay when it's clearly hurting a lot of people. I get that. But what I am talking about, I think, is to guard against the spirit that puts people in, into boxes and says, you'll never change. You'll always do this to me. And anything that triggers that, that's what I, I knew it. And also feeling that some people um, who let us down when we give them our, our, our trust and we, they, they betray that trust. We have confidence that we're, we're believing that, that there's a sincerity about them and, it, and we're disappointed. What happens there? Do we shrink up in terms of our capacity to be a graceful person? I'm gonna, that's what I want to get at. Now, 
one of the interesting individuals in all the Bible, um, certainly the most dominant, outside of Jesus, the most dominant figure in the New Testament is Paul, the Apostle Paul. There's no question. Uh, he, he is personally responsible. God used him in an amazing way. But he is the one that so many of the, the, the books of the Bible the, or letters that the Apostle Paul wrote by, under the inspiration of the Lord that have become life to us. And uh, he was the one that, that caused the spread. He planted churches into the, and he crossed the boundaries of what it was only a predominantly, it was a Jewish sect. The early Christian church was all Jewish. And um, with some converts that had been Gentiles who had converted to Judaism and had in turn opened up to Jesus as Messiah. But really, it was the Apostle Paul who God used, um, this man of enormous intellect and tremendous drive, uh, a, a man who, ironically, prior to becoming uh, the key person in the growth of the early church, as it crossed over into the Gentile world and uh, made its way into the corners of the earth, that it's important for us to remember, this guy was the premier persecutor and opponent of, of Christians. That he, prior to his conversion, prior to his meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, which is covered in Acts 9, which I put a big chunk of that in our handout, that he was, he was the guy who was most opposed to the way of Jesus. I mean, there, this was a man who was, by his own confession, zealous above all his peers. So his intellect was matched by a very narrow, narrow-minded religious commitment that had on top of it an overlay of a violent spirit. So it created a unique individual who the early church was afraid of because he persecuted people. The implication is he killed people, um, that, and which created some interesting dynamics later on when he blew up families and then would later come to that environment and, 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 and ask them to forgive him and accept him. The dynamic was pretty intense. But this Paul, this man who was later Paul, was early on Saul of Tarsus. And he was quite a figure. In fact, you'll notice uh, in your handout, there's a, there's a portion of a, of a letter that he wrote to Timothy, who was a young pastor that he had raised up. And Timothy was like a, one of Paul's mentorees. Uh, Paul was, he was a protege of Paul. He, he was someone who Paul had invested in. In fact, Paul called him his son in the faith. But they were of totally diff different temperaments. Paul was a very confident, um, aggressive uh, person by nature who was given to details and extraordinary work ethic, both a, a, a fierceness that allowed him to endure much suffering. Timothy was far much, um, how do you say, had a far different demeanor. He was a more cautious, um, uh, careful, uh, sometimes fearful person. And he was a young pastor, and he was sometimes being, he was afraid to confront things. And Paul would encourage him, don't be, don't be fearful. Don't let anybody despise your youth, he would say. Learn how to, to take the weight that God wants you to bear. Don't be afraid. And then there were, there were other times where he would write, in, like in, now in, in this letter, he, he writes and he starts thinking about who he was before. Paul's looking back in time to the day when he wasn't Paul, when he was Saul, the maniac, the man who hated and despised uh, Christians, followers of the way, as it was called, saw, saw this way as an absolute threat to everything he believed was sacred. 
felt absolutely convinced that he was serving and honoring God and rejected Jesus outrightly as not only a deviant, but someone whose followers needed to be removed. It was very powerful what was going on in this man. He, he looks back and he says this, I thank Christ, Jesus our Lord, look, try to hear his heart in this, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. It was him who did this. He says, I don't know why. I don't know why he would choose someone like me to be an ambassador. Notice what he says. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, I spit on his name, I despised his name, I hated it. I was a persecutor. I hurt his people. Uh, he cleaned out Jerusalem. He was on his way to Damascus in Syria to, to clean that, that place out as well. He had obtained letters to do it. He had authority. He was on his way. And it says, I was a persecutor. I was a, a, an insolent man. Looks back, he says, what kind of man I was. I, was, I, I had an arrogance about me. I had a, a rebelliousness that, that really was off-putting and harsh. And he says, this is the kind of person, I don't know why God would call someone like this. I don't know why God would call someone, why he would have someone like me. He says, but I, he says this, but, but I obtained, but I obtained mercy. And he says, because I did it. In ignorance, there's a part of me that didn't really know what I was doing. I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought I was doing what God wanted me to do, he says. And I ended up, and you remember there's this moment, and you can see it. I, I kind of put part of it in there. Um, but actually, it's in that ninth chapter where he's, on, he's making his way. The older version says, breathing out slaughterings. I mean, there was this murder was on his mind. He was on his way. And on that road to Damascus, somewhere along the way, he says, my life was altered, I had, he says, I met someone on that road that changed me for, and by the way, it is the only way to explain Saul of Tarsus. You can't explain him any other way. How someone on the historical record who is so absolutely convinced and opposed to Jesus becomes the greatest advocate in almost really ever in history. How did, what happened? He says, it was, he goes, well, I'll tell you what happened. I was on the road to Damascus with a group of men and soldiers with me. We were on our way to, go to, the, to, to get the believers in, in Damascus and we were going to bring them to prison in any way we had to. He says, and it was on that road that I was, uh, something happened. And he says, they haven't opened up a light shone. He says, and I fell, from, I fell down on the ground. And he, said, he says, what I said was, Lord, Lord. He instantaneously knew it was God. He says, Lord, who are you? And Paul said that, then he was Saul. He said the words that came back changed him forever. I am Jesus, whom you persecute. Quit fighting against me. And when he came up off the ground, Paul says, Saul, you know, later on, he says that he, he was blind. This man with all his power was, was, who was going to go into Damascus uh, as just this ferocious you know, wrecking ball filled with pride and arrogance and religious zeal, was then literally led into Damascus like a blind man. And there he was brought to a house on a street that they knew in their day as a street called Straight. I guess it was one of the few straight ones. A lot of the rest of them were crooked. That's why they called it Straight Street. All right? <laughs> and it says that they said that they led him on a, house into a, on a street called Straight to a house by one's name, Judas. And it says in that house, Paul sat there for three days, um, and he didn't eat or drink. And he just was there praying, thinking about what had happened to him. And, and it says that while he was praying that God, and again, this is in the handout, 
in Acts 9 that God spoke to another man, a follower, who also was praying, a man named Ananias. And Ananias was praying, and it says the Lord gave him a vision as he was praying. And it's interesting because in the vision, he's almost having this conversation with God. And God says, I want you to go to this street called Straight in, in a city, in a town. I want you to go find a man who's, who's there in the house of Judas. His, his name is Saul, and I want you to lay hands on him and pray for him. And he's expecting something. God's, and so Ananias, in the vision, says, Lord, I can't do that. This guy's, this guy's crazy. He's a, he's a tormentor, a persecutor. How can I do that? And he says, you do it because I've called him. I have a work for him to do. He will speak to me in, in places, in course of kings, and in, in before officials and leaders, and I will also show him how much he will suffer in my name. That's what he did then. He went, and Ananias, the reluctant healer, went over there, and he went and he prayed over him. And, and the Bible says that scales like fell off of Saul's eyes, and he could see. And can you see also how that, in so many ways, was a picture of the change in the man, a new way of seeing? When we really meet the Lord, we all need to have a road to Damascus moment in our lives, a moment where we meet him, where, where we know him. And when that happens, we never see the same again, ever. Our world is different. I once was blind, but now I see. A slave trader wrote that, a guy by the name of John Newton, who had become a follower of the Lord. He talked about the amazing grace of God that saved a wretch like me. See, grace was Paul's favorite word. He used it all over the place. Always, but for the grace of God. God uses someone like me. Me who was the chief of sinners, he says. A persecutor, insolent man, but God, by his, I obtained mercy. God, and you know what he says? It was not in vain because I poured my life back to him. And you know what, you, you hear that, but one of the things we forget is the early church did not immediately go, oh, you're one of, you've become a follower. In fact, they built a big barrier. Nobody wanted anything to do with them. They didn't believe it. They did not believe it. But we're told that there was another man, and here's the, the reason I wanted to say what I said to get to this part. It says here in verse 26 and 27, the last two verses in that on the, on the page there, it says this, that when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he, he went back to Jerusalem, he tried to connect with the disciples, he tried to join them, but they were all afraid, suspicious of him, and they did not believe that he had actually become a true disciple, a follower of the Lord. And it wasn't, we're told here, until, until another man, whose name, who is an often underappreciated figure in the scriptures, uh, a man whose name was Barnabas, whose name literally means son of encouragement. And that was his gift. Barney had a gift of encouragement. And he believed in Saul when nobody else did. He believed what God was doing in him. And it says that he decided to take him as it were. And this shows up again. He does it again later on. Um, Barnabas takes Paul, Saul then under his wings and he says, look, I'll take you to them. I believe in what God's doing in you. And he takes them, and he encourages them, and he brings them, and he tells his story. And honestly, it's because of that sponsorship that that avenue opened up. Somebody had to believe in him. Barnabas had the gift of encouragement. In fact, you know what's really interesting? And I'm not going to talk a lot about this. Next week, we'll probably dig into it more um, when, it, when it's shared around. But it, you know, Paul and Barnabas ended up becoming really good friends. And eventually, though, Paul was such a strong personality that, and the Bible records this, that they actually had a, a tension 
that emerged between the two of them over another person by the name of John Mark, who was a young man, who, by the way, that's the mark of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John Mark was someone who Paul felt, because he had evidently let him, let him down, they were on a missionary journey, the two of them, Paul and Barnes, they brought along John Mark. John Mark disappointed Paul. And Paul said, you know what? He's a good guy. I like him. I'm sure he has a lot of potential, but I can't have him with me. He's not dependable. Barnabas says, I think you're being too harsh. Again, that was his gift, right? The same gift that applied to Saul, he turns around and he says, you can't, you, you got to give people a better chance than that. You can't write them off that quick. Paul says, well, I'm sorry. And it says it became a pretty strong disagreement and they decided to go their separate ways. Paul brings Silas with him. Barnabas goes with John Mark. Later on, you know what happens in life? Paul will write down and say, you know what, I bring with you John Mark. He is, he is profitable for the ministry. He, Paul comes around. But I'm going to tell you something. Barnabas was a guy who believed in people. We need, I, I know Paul's a great, great man, but we all need Barnabases in our lives. We need Barneys in our life who believe in us and who will not write us off when we fail or don't get it right the first time. We need, if there are some of you who have that gift, oh, it's a great blessing. It's so encouraging. You know, one of my favorite um, stories, and let me just kind of put it this way first. Uh, I, th I think that there may be no greater story, at least it's, it certainly has to rank up there as one of them, um, than Victor Hugo's, you know, Les Miserables, right? I think it's a fantastic story. And let me just kind of put it under this umbrella. We're going to, in the minutes that we have left, we're going to talk about how to be better healers, how to be life givers in our relationships. So, okay, these are just simple thoughts, but I'm connecting them, hopefully that we'll engage them in a, in a deeper way. But I was thinking about this, how... A lot of times, what it's going to mean is we're going to have to take risks with people. Just like Barnabas was taking a risk with, with Saul and how he took a risk with John Mark. He believed in people when other people wouldn't do it. He took a risk with his own reputation. He invested himself. And the only danger of taking a risk, right, is that people will, can let us down. And they do. And we have had that happen. And what happens? We, we then become more reluctant. We, the tendency is to become uh, more... <laughs> You know, we can even become cynical about the whole thing. We stop believing in what God can do in people's lives, change. But I was thinking about that. Remember, I mentioned the, the Le Miserable. I mean, it's been a, it's Victor Hugo's, it's an, you know, his, his book. Obviously, many of us have seen, I would assume, the musical, which is just, you know, wonderful. Um, and then the film itself, and all of them sort of capturing in different ways his story, but I think the story is an enduring story because it gets into some of the deepest issues, the issue we're looking at right here. It, it really has to do with this great question. Can a person be changed by God? Really? And, the, and Hugo's answer is yes. Remember, it's built around what? Jean Valjean, prisoner 24601. The man who was cruelly treated by people who committed a petty theft and was thrown into prison. A man who saw the worst of humanity, who saw the vulgarity and the, the violence and the ugly side. A man who became so hard. That's the picture we're given of Jean Valjean, a hardened criminal. A man who has been literally interpreted by his environment. Misunderstood, but he's given up people. People aren't good. You hear he's a criminal, oh, I know how he is. 
Well, he gets out. Remember the story? Again, it's part of the enduring story. Valjean, what? He gets, no one's treating him well, but a priest takes him in, a bishop, right? He takes him into his house. He, he lets him stay. He trusts him. He takes a chance with him. He is good to him. And Valjean, almost like he can't take it. His nature, he, who he's become kicks in. He, he doesn't want to, but he takes, he takes the, can, the silver candle. He steals them, and he leaves in the middle of the night. He, he steals after he's been treated so good. And remember what happens is, and they find that the constables find him. They bring him in. They bring him back before the priest, right? And they say, you know, <laughs> this man says that you gave him. We found these things on him. He says you gave them to him. <laughs> we know he's lying. They say, and the priest says, what? Oh, you, that's all? What? You forgot your tray. <laughs> and he gives him the tray. You shouldn't have done that. And it was like this moment, it says, where they look at each other and, 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 and he says, I have bought you for God. And it says from that moment on, Valjean started to change. That there was a remarkable change in his life. That act of, of love and grace, because mercy is I won't, hold, I won't give you what you deserve, the punishment you deserve. I take it. I won't do it. But grace says, not only do I not give you the punishment you deserve, I give you the silver tray too. I bless you. And that man blessed him. That was grace. He gave him grace. You know what? I was, I was reading about it, and the other character that was in there was uh, Yavert, who's the inspector who relentlessly hunts Valjean because of an earlier parole infraction. And in the musical production, when Yavert finally finds Valjean, he sings, you have no rights Come with me, number 24601. Every man is born in sin, and every man must choose his way. And here's the key phrase. Men like you can never change. But he had changed. In fact, in Hugo's book, he talks about how, and again, he's saying what God can do when grace is offered. Don't underestimate it. And he says what happens is as Valjean had gotten older, he started not only, and he got, became successful, he became a businessman, he became a mayor, he, he went even sometimes by the name Father Madeline. He, he started to look for ways to secretly bless. Before how he was secretly stolen, he started to secretly find ways to bless. And he started doing good deeds in, wherever he could. If he heard somebody needed money and he saw a situation that he could, he could address, it says that sometimes his compulsion to bless them was so great that he, without being known, that he would sneak into the house, actually break in, like a thief would break in. He would get into the house and then he would leave. And when they would come into their house, oh my goodness, my home isn't broken and I've been robbed. Instead, they would find money on the table left by Valjean, the reverse thief. You know, like that Burger King commercial. You remember that one? The reverse pickpocket guy? I got a reverse pickpocket. Remember the king? Come on. Remember the king, right? He, they go, what's he look like? And there he is. And they start running after him. And all of a sudden, the king's running. And he gets hit by the taxi cab. And he falls over. The guy comes out and says, are you OK? And the guy puts money. Yeah, he reverse pickpockets him and puts the money back into his pocket. We have gone from the heights of Western civilization to the depths uh, in, a, in a quick sweep, haven't we? But the, the, the matter of the being is this was a blesser. And we get, and you know what? And I think about taking risks with people. And I, I think about what it means to, 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 to believe in someone, to give them grace as a gift. 
and the change that can be brought and all the blessing that comes out of it. Okay, but okay, how do we take that into our relationships? Really, that's a nice story. It happens every now and then. Okay, quick. One, two, I think we need to be, be patient with people better than we are. What I mean by that is a lot of times there's going to be a stumbling here and there. And if, if our expectation is that we're always going to, that someone's just always going to get it right, we're probably going to be disappointed. And, and, and I'm going to say that that's true for all of us, right? But some people like Paul, they just, they got it, right? He never looked back. A Jean Valjean, he changes. But a lot of us, it's a struggle. It's a battle to get better, to grow. We, that someone, we start out well. I can't tell you how many people have come to me in tears. I meant well. I just... I got off course. I say, it's okay. You're in the right place. You're okay. Come on home. Come on home. It's not a perfect place. We're following a perfect Savior, but we're all imperfectly doing it. Let's do it together. You know, the idea is we've got to be patient with people. We've got to be patient with people in our own lives. We can't just expect everything to just get there all at once. Even, and even more than that, we also need to be, and here's three, we need to be merciful don't shoot people when they're wounded. You know when someone comes and says, I really blew it. That's like, what an opportunity to be Jesus. I offer forgiveness. I forgive you in Jesus' name. It's okay. Let's pray about it. It's going to be all right. God can get through that. You can do this. Not take your face and rub it in. What kind of person are you? You know, how could you do this? No, it's about, it's about how, if the Bible says if we shut our heart when someone comes to us and we see our brother or sister in need, how dwell the love of God in you? We need to be a place where people are loved and forgiven, right? That's absolutely the way it needs to be. And we need to, be, we need to have uh, environments that we live in where people can be honest about failing and where we can be honest about struggle and not be written off and, 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 and said, get, get out. I mean, there, there needs to be, because I've noticed that environments where there isn't on it, an ability to be honest and to, to, with the struggles or our failures is a place where people never really um, are able to share their heart. And as a result, there's a lot of stuff going on below, but it's not healthy. It's not healthy. We need to have an, an openness and ability to share our heart. And then the last thing I'll say around that, besides the fact that we need to be mercy givers, we need to be blessers, we need to be encouragers, we need to be life givers. We need to speak life. We need to have the words be more and more life. Quit swearing, people. These things ought not to be so. The Bible says, not out of the same, same fountain should not come salt water and sweet water. No. The same lips that would praise God ought not to take and defame others. Don't do that. May God help us. And let me show you. In Colossians 4, it says this, that let our words be seasoned with what? Let our words be filled with grace, seasoned with salt. Now, it's talking about how to talk about Jesus outside of the community, but really, this should be our relations. This should be our relationships, that we have life-giving words that are part of who we are. Life-giving words. We bless. We don't speak death. The song that we're closing with talks about what we do when we love someone. It's basically a song about uh, failing and, other, some, and a friend believing. In. It is a romantic context. I want to broaden it out and ask you to, ask you to think about it in terms of a friendship and in terms of our relationships. 
that we, in the way we support one another, the way we, the way we stand by one another when we're struggling and when we failed. And to, and, to, and to be a person who can be counted on. Because listen, the Lord, okay, the Lord doesn't give up on us when we fail. Let's not give up on one another. Lord, I, I pray that as we're here in this late morning now in the early afternoon, I, I do pray, Lord, that you would keep working in our lives, your purposes, God. And I, I know that you have plans and there are blessings that you have for us to be and to give and we are, many of us, in process right now of growing in you. We've got habits and stuff that we've carried with us, ways of communicating, ways of reacting when we get angry, ways of speaking that diminish people, even people we love. I just really ask you, Lord, that you would remind us to, to grow in our capacity to be a blessing, to be blessers, that we would grow in our ability to love well, to be gracious, to give room for people, to, to fail and still to believe in what you can do, to speak hope, Lord. I really ask you for that. I pray that you would give us a softness of heart, not, not to be walked all over, but to give people room to grow, even as you give us room to grow and never stop believing in what you can do in our lives. I ask for your blessing. Bless our time of giving. May we honor you as the church here, Lord. And may we also, Lord, be open. I pray you bless this time, our closing song as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.